I'm going to pick up from where we left off last week, so I'm going to read the same passage of Scripture, and uh, this will be the second part of this series about uh, what I'm calling normal Christianity. What are the norms of Christianity? What should our, uh, the outworking of our faith look like in 2015 uh, in England, you know, um, when we're kind of building our, our understanding from um, a 2,000-year-old book that was mostly written in the Middle East. So it's a, it's a kind of understanding the dynamics of that and the importance of that and how we make all of that work in today's context. Um, we're going to read from Acts chapter 2 in a moment. And I just uh, want to say something about this, that the that, that, um, Acts was written by, by Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel. Acts was kind of the sequel to his Gospel. And, and in Acts, what you're seeing is the outworking of the things that Jesus taught the disciples in the Gospel. So it's kind of the, it's kind of the, you know, the sequel. If we were in the movies, this would be, you know, Luke 2. Um, and it's, it's designed to do all sorts of things. And one of the important things that it does is it teaches us um, about the norms of Christianity. We're able to take a good look at the early church and see how they were set up, see how they behaved, see the things that were important to them, understand their values and the dynamics of what was going on. And those things should then help us to understand how we should then live as Christians in the 21st century. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 36. This, as you will remember uh, from last week, is the bit that follows on from the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, and it says this. Let all the house of this is Peter speaking. Um, he's preaching because um, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. All sorts of crazy things have been going on, and the people are asking him, what is this all about? How then uh, can we be saved? And then Peter starts to preach. It's a very interesting sermon please take the time to read that sometime and then he gets to this point he says let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it starts out, the bit that I want to concentrate on is that, is that second half. We kind of dealt with the first half last week where we saw 
um, what is kind of, if you like, normal entry into Christianity, the normal uh, kind of journey into faith, that we come to a place of revelation where suddenly we're aware that actually God is there and, and God is doing something and we need to get ourselves connected with God, um, that, uh, that actually we have a problem because we can't get close to God because of the, the many and varied ways in which we have offended him. And we come to the realization that there is a need for repentance and there is a need for receiving grace from God and a need to put our faith in Jesus and faith in his work on the cross which pays the price of our sin and which actually opens that, uh, that way forward into the presence of God and that relationship with God. The natural consequence of all of that is that we should be baptized, that our baptism speaks of moving from an old life into a new life, but it also speaks of being baptized into Jesus. In other words, we are making a confession that says, I have given my life to Jesus and I am now determined to live a life that reflects Jesus. That I am going to, what he says, I'm going to say what he does, I'm going to do where he goes, I'm going to go. That I'm being baptized into him and my life in that sense becomes his and no longer mine. And uh, then we move on to, it gives that lovely picture there of what the early church looked like. So right um, there at uh, verse 42, it starts out with that lovely phrase, and they devoted themselves and then it gives a list of things that they devoted themselves to. Now, if you have some strange notion that these things turn up in the Bible by chance and they just kind of happen to fall in there and, um, you know, that you, we can kind of take and leave these things, you're in the wrong place. Uh, because here we believe that the Bible means what it says. We believe that it's the inspired word of God. We believe that it is given to us to teach us about God and how we should live to glorify God, how we should, what we should do with our lives in order that God is honored with them. And so we take these things very seriously. And so these things are just important for us as they are for the early church. And that phrase, and they devoted themselves, is the first big challenge for us this morning. Because devotion means that we give everything. Hello? Devotion means that, that we put whatever the thing is we are devoted to right at the top of our list, right at the top of our priorities. It becomes um, uh, highly important to us. And uh, we are led into the norms of Christian life in the early church with that phrase, and they devoted themselves. And that's the call on our lives. The question is, are you devoted? What priority does God have in your life? What priority, now that you have been saved, now that you have come to faith and you've put your trust in Jesus, now that you've entered into a new life, now that you have received the Holy Spirit, what priority are you giving to him? What priority are you giving to God? What priority are you giving to his purposes? What priority are you giving to his church? And what conditions have you placed on that? Because some of us like to have priorities, but we like to put conditions on the priorities. Well, actually, there's none of that in devotion. In devotion, we recognize who God is, and we give our lives to him, and we decide that we're going to follow him and do what he expects of us, and everything else in our lives becomes secondary to that. That's what devotion means, and that's where the, uh, the life of the early church starts. And they devoted themselves. They gave themselves completely. 
they took on board completely. Uh, they, they gave their time, they gave their energy, they gave their resources, they gave everything to this thing completely because they were devoted. And this already, you know, before we even get into the things that they were devoted to, kicks against the culture and the society that we live in. Because in our society and in our culture, the only thing we're really taught to be devoted to is ourselves. And immediately, if we are going to be the church, if we're going to be what God is calling us to be, we've got to break the back of that selfish idea that we are the most important person here. That what we want is the most important thing. That our agenda is the most important thing. That our schedule is the most important thing. That has to go out of the window. It really does. That is what the world teaches us. That is what the culture that we live in teaches us. And what we have wound up with is a world that is basically killing itself because everybody is looking out for himself and not concerned about anybody else. We have people dying of starvation every day when there's more than enough food in the world to, to feed them. We have people dying of diseases that are easily curable if we would just spend some of the money that we'd got and actually paying for those things to help people get well or avoid getting sick in the first place. We have people who trample over other people to earn more money, to get better jobs, to get better lives in, in, in their estimation you know, so they can have bigger cars and bigger houses and whatever else, but they don't mind who they trample on to get there. This is not what the Bible teaches us. This is not church. This is not godliness. This is not holiness. This is not Christianity. This is a worldly culture. And most of us are, listen, at least in some measure, still impacted by that. We all have some work to do to get the dregs of that system and that thinking and that culture out of our lives. Some of us perhaps more than others, but I would say that every one of us has a battle on, on a daily basis, to find our place of devotion to God rather than devotion to ourselves, which is what the world teaches us. The early church devoted themselves. They put Jesus right at the top of the list. And the first thing that it says... Um, uh, about their devotion is this it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching what is the apostles teaching well the easiest way to define that is to say that thin bit at the back of your bible called the new testament that's the apostles teaching it's the accounts of Jesus and his life and what he said and what he did so that we know the sort of lives that we're supposed to live, the things we're supposed to say, the things we're supposed to do. It's the letters from the apostles explaining some of that to us, opening some of that out for us, teaching us some uh, additional theology so that we understand things better, teaching us some extra principles and dynamics so that we know how to behave better. That is the apostolic teaching. It is designed so that we understand who God is, so that we understand who Jesus is. It is designed so that we understand then, therefore, how we fit into the picture and how we should then live and how we should then behave because if we understand this stuff and if we believe this stuff as we say we believe it actually it should change the whole of our lives that actually the whole of our lives should begin to should begin to reflect Jesus should begin to reflect our christianity that people when they see us should see that there is something different about us 
hopefully before we've even opened our mouths. And then when we open our mouths, they should be absolutely convinced there's something different about us. And then with our attitudes and behaviours, they should know that actually we serve a different God. That we are not uh, stuck with both of our feet in this culture that surrounds us where self is God, but we have broken out of that culture and we serve somebody else. We serve another king. His name is Jesus. And all of this apostolic teaching is designed to take us to that place. That we understand who he is, that we understand who we are, and that we understand therefore what we must do and how we must act. And let me just jump back for, you know, for the theologians among us who have been around the block a few times to something I said last week. This is important that we understand this because I'm not talking about your salvation here. I'm talking about what happens after your salvation. I'm talking about what happens after you got saved. Because I grew up in an environment where a lot of people were saying to me that because of God's grace, I could live and behave just how I like. And actually, that's not true. I am saved by God's grace. What does that mean? It means that there's no way I could earn my salvation. There's no way I couldn't pay for it because I would never have enough money. It's worth more than any money. Okay? Uh, there's nothing that I could do that would make me good enough to get into heaven to, to earn God's love. It's just not possible for a human being to do that. But God, because he loves us, and because of his grace, grace means that he gives us something that we don't deserve. And because of his love, which is born out of his grace, we get the opportunity to know him and to have our lives changed and to be saved. That all comes out of God's grace. That is absolutely free. You can't do anything to earn that or deserve that. Uh, uh, and it's absolutely free. But you are saved from something to something. You are not saved to live in limbo. You are not saved to live in some kind of spiritual vacuum where now I'm saved and everything is okay and I can just stay here because of God's grace. You are saved for purpose. You are saved from something for something. And many of us have chosen to, to sit in that place and stay in that place where we got saved and we've never really moved on from there. And we think ourselves mature because that event, whatever it was, happened a lot of years ago and because we've been saved for a lot of years, we think we're mature. But actually, we're still like children because we're still living in that glorious moment but we've never actually grown into the things that God has for us. We've never actually matured in our understanding of God, in our understanding of his expectation on our lives and all of the things that he wants to do in us and through us the way he wants us to think the way he wants us to behave there's a whole list of stuff that maturity means and for many of us we we need to kind of refocus ourselves and get on that journey into maturity and the apostolic teaching the teaching of the apostles is designed to help us do that it's designed to help us understand who god is who we are and therefore what we must do in order to honor him so they were devoted to the apostolic teaching. That means that they listened to what they were being taught. And having been taught, they started to apply themselves in putting that into action. Hello? Now, listen, I'm not going to pick on anybody this morning. I'm going to pick on everybody. <laughs> because, listen, we all come here week by week. And the question I want to ask you is this. How much has it changed your life? 
Because while sitting under the ministry that you get from this pulpit week by week, and I'm not just talking about me, you've seen a lot of very good, high-quality people stand up here and teach you stuff. But if it stays in your head and doesn't go any further, then all you've acquired is knowledge. And your life hasn't really changed. You know more stuff, but you're not any better for it. It's when you apply it that it makes the difference. It's when you take that stuff away and you start to ask the question, how then must I live? What must I change? What must I do in order to be putting this stuff into action so that my life changes, so that the core of me changes, so that I reflect Jesus in an even greater way? And that is the road to maturity. That as we hear stuff, we don't just hear it, but we put it into action. I'm sure Jesus told a story about that. You remember the one. Seeds, pathway, birds, weeds. You remember that story? No? You're all looking a bit... Being devoted to the apostolic teaching means that we hear it, we understand it, and we put it into practice. And as we put it into practice, and listen, I I know as well as anybody that this stuff is not always easy. I'm very much aware of my own weaknesses and my own shortcomings. But what I know is this, that if I have the right attitude over this and I try my utmost to follow God and do what he says, God will help me. Because most of the time I am pretty much incapable. I am pretty useless. Ask Sue. But that's why he sends the Holy Spirit. So that as I begin to apply myself, the Holy Spirit helps me and works in me so that I can become what Jesus is calling me to be. Now there are times, you know, that the Holy Spirit comes and he changes us, you know, almost without us really knowing it and we've not done anything. It's just the grace of God. It's just, you know, God being God and he does things to help us to become something different, something better. But I want to tell you, most of the time it requires us to actually do something. Most of the time it requires us to actually grapple with these things and begin to put them into practice in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Are you with me? That's what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, I could spend the next six months talking about what church is. Um, maybe I should. Maybe that would do us good. But let me say this today about those few words, being devoted to the fellowship. Church is not designed as an optional extra. That actually the New Testament model and the model that we are called to is that we are devoted to fellowship. We are devoted to the church. We are devoted to our fellow believers. We are devoted to meeting together. We are devoted to helping and encouraging one another along this journey of faith. You cannot do this on your own. You really cannot. You're not smart enough. Okay? I'm not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You're not experienced enough. You're not whatever it needs to make this work. You don't have enough of it. None of us do. But together, 
there is a synergy together when you know when when brothers dwell together in unity what does god do he commands a blessing when we are together and we are working together and we are encouraging each other and we are holding each other accountable that means if somebody's doing something wrong we pull them up on it are you with me yes in love sensitively but we still do it that all of those things in fellowship together help us to grow help us to become the sort of people that we're talking about so if we are those who want to be devoted to the apostolic teaching the fellowship becomes equally important because this is the place where we practice this is the place where we help each other this is the place where we encourage each other this is the place where we challenge each other and that helps us to grow and you cannot afford to miss out on that hello you really can't you can't afford to miss out on a Sunday because you get teaching and we get to worship God together and stand in his presence together and there's something very powerful and equally important about that you can't afford to miss being here on a Thursday because on a Thursday we get much more down to brass tacks and the practical of stuff and working together to see our lives develop and talking together, having conversations with one another that will lead us along that path to becoming what God is calling us to be. You can't afford to miss that either. Hello? You can't afford to miss any family occasion. You cannot afford to miss Steve um, get, getting his full status with the AOG. I want to tell you, that is an achievement. It is important and it's a family occasion right and you ought to be there seriously you ought to be there if transport is an issue talk to me and I'll make sure that you get transport we'll make sure that you all get uh, maps and instructions and everything but listen you really ought to be there because it's part of our fellowship I mean you know we ought to be there because we appreciate Steve we appreciate who he is we appreciate everything that he does for us I know that he's on a salary but I want to tell you everyone here who's on a salary does much more than their salary requires much much more and we should be appreciating that and we should be supporting and encouraging him because that's fellowship yeah another thing let me just throw this thought in and um, this as we were worshipping I just I'm going to put it down to the Holy Spirit reminding me um, this just kind of floated into my head and this is uh, something that you hear taught in the secular world you know in um, leadership and management training but is actually also a biblical principle we are often advised to choose our friends carefully but look around at the people who you spend your life with the people who you spend your time with the people who you are in relationship with because by and large that is the sort of person that you if you're not that already that's who you will become hello that's who you will become and the challenge is to put ourselves in a place where we surround ourselves and build relationships with people who will challenge us and move us to a better place and listen all of us it's not that listen we're not all horrible people we're not all miserable worthless sinners well we probably are all miserable worthless sinners but don't get down about that you know I'm not 
I'm not being derogatory about where we are now, but what I'm saying that is for every one of us, there is a better place to get to. For every one of us, there is a better person that we can be. And if we continue to surround ourselves with people who pull us down and take us in the wrong direction and draw us away from God and his purposes and uh, undermine our fellowship and all those sorts of things, I want to tell you that it's not going to help you become what God is calling you to be. Now, Paul uses a great phrase, the Apostle Paul, he says that we're in the world but we're not of it. What does that mean? It means we have to rub shoulders with everybody else and we have to care about them. We have to love them because Jesus does. We have to do what we can to encourage them uh, into relationship with Jesus, to find faith, to understand who he is, all of those things. We must do that out of love. But in terms of the people that we hold dear, the people that we draw close to ourselves, the people that we have relationship with, the people that we spend our lives with, you have a choice about what you do with that. And the challenge is that we find people who will actually draw something out of us rather than undermine us. I have chosen in, in my life to build some relationships and sometimes, you know, it's, it's not that easy, I understand that, but with some real superstars. And the, the guys that I've done that with, I spend whatever time I can with them, you know, if there's an opportunity, I'm there. Even if it's just to have a cup of coffee and shoot the breeze for half an hour. Why? Because they draw something out of me. Because when I sit and spend time with them, they... I ask them what's going on in their lives and what, you know, what they're up to, how things are going. And as they talk to me, they lift my eyes to a higher place. I see something more. I'm drawn to something more. I'm drawn to something bigger and better. It draws something out of me. And it propels me on the journey you know, of, of discipling myself in, in, in a tandem with the work of the Holy Spirit to become what God is calling me to be. And our fellowship is supposed to look exactly like that. That each one of us plays a part in our fellowship to encourage, to help, to love, you know, to, to stand with one another, but also to draw something better out of one another. That the challenge for us is that in our relationships, as we have fellowship together, we are being bigger people and looking to be even bigger people, but in the process of that, drawing things out of some people and drawing things from others. Yes? Um, we need to be sure that we spend time doing that, and we're actually proactive about that. I read a very good book a very long time ago, which was called Ordering Your Private World. Um, written by a, uh, an American pastor and he was addressing the issue particularly of burnout in ministers you know ministers who, who fail because basically they kill themselves trying to do the job and one of the things he said in that context was this he said that you must be careful how you divvy up your time in terms of the people that you spend it with because you see some people will just take from you They'll just take from you because they actually have nothing they can give you. Some people will give you, you'll take from them. Because you have nothing you can give them, but they've got plenty that you can take. And with others, it's yeah, kind of more on a part, and it's give and take. It's a bit of both. You understand what I'm saying? And he was saying this, if you spend the majority of your time in the place where people take everything from you, you are going to kill yourself. You are going to burn out. You are going to get depressed. 
you are going to get tired. You are going to get weak. But if you manage your time properly in terms of your relationships and your fellowship and put yourself in a place more often where there's give and take and put yourself in a place even more often where you can get something from others that you need to help you grow, then you become much more balanced, you become stronger, and you grow much more quickly. So there is a balance to be found in these things. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay, three people are nodding. Everybody else is looking a little bit, what on earth is he talking about? This should be the nature of our fellowship. That we are giving into each other's lives, that we are drawing things out of each other, that we are encouraging each other, that we are challenging each other, that we are holding each other accountable, and we all need that. And, according at least to the New Testament data, we ought to be devoted to that. We ought to be giving that some serious priority. It ought to be very close to the top of our agendas. And in that context, Luke also talks about the breaking of bread. He says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Why is that important? Because, because none of us are perfect, when you start throwing us all together in the context of fellowship, things happen. <laughs> People start rubbing up against each other and sparks fly. We find things that we disagree over. We find things that we can fall out over. Somebody says something and you get hurt. There are all sorts of stuff like that. It goes on all the time when you put people together, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what context you put people together in, this stuff happens. So why does Luke put that in right there? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Because when we come together to break bread, there are two things, two really, really important things that should happen. Two dynamics that take place when we break bread. There is the receiving of forgiveness and there is the giving of forgiveness. That actually, it's the point where we recognize that we are all frail human beings, that uh, none of us in reality is better than anybody else, that we each of us get it wrong from time to time, and we bog up, and we upset people, and we hurt them, and we let them upset us and hurt us. And when we gather around that communion table, communion, community, fellowship, what we are saying is, forgive us, for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I remember somebody saying that somewhere. I'm pretty sure it was Jesus. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In other words, when we gather around the communion table, when we break bread together, it should be a place of giving and receiving of forgiveness. You cannot receive forgiveness if you don't give forgiveness. Hello? And we need to make sure that actually we do both because we need both. You know, the Bible doesn't leave us many choices on this. It, it teaches us quite clearly that um, if, uh, if somebody has offended us, that we should go to them and say, you've offended me, and sort it out. It says if you know that you've offended somebody, it says that you should go to them <laughs> and say, I'm really sorry I offended you. Let's sort this out. 
So whether you were the one giving offence or whether you were the offended one, there is a call on you to go to the other party and get it sorted out. Hello? To give forgiveness, to receive forgiveness. Because if you don't do that, that's when the pain really starts. That's where relationships really start to break down. That's where the struggles come. That's where the unity falls apart. That's where the blessing starts to go thin. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all have issues and problems and preferences and strengths and weaknesses and all of those things. We all have all of those things. And we are called to make our fellowship a priority, to devote ourselves to it. And the only way that that is really going to work is if we live in a place where we give and receive forgiveness where we acknowledge that we are all tarred with the same brush. We're all sinners who have been saved by grace. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And it's good for us to apologize for our mistakes. It's good certainly to apologize to those who we have hurt with our mistakes. And it's good for us to receive forgiveness as well. We need both. You know, the, the biggest... My mom... I, I, you know, when she died last year, I know I spoke about this a little bit and just um, shared some memories of her. But I remember the day she gave her life to Jesus. I remember sitting in our back kitchen at home. We'd been out to see a very theologically dodgy movie about the end times. But the only good thing about it was she came home and asked the question, how can I be sure that I'm really going to go to heaven? Which gave rise to the conversation where I was able to lead her to Jesus. It was an absolutely magnificent moment. And when we prayed with her, this is what she said, completely unprompted. You know, she would no real church background, my mum or anything. She just sat there and she said, I just feel like a great weight has rolled off my shoulders. I'll tell you what that was. That was in those moments, in the, in, in the grace of Jesus, receiving forgiveness. She had carried the weight of condemnation and guilt and all sorts of stuff for years and years and years, so much so that it was like a physical weight on her shoulders. And when she gave her life to Jesus, it rolled off. It rolled off because she received forgiveness. So we need to receive it as much as we, forget, um, as much as we extend it. Yes? And it needs to be a part of our devotion. It needs to be a high priority. We need to consider this as being really, really important. Because they devoted themselves, the Christians, that's us. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. And because I only have two seconds left, I'm going to hit the pause button there and we'll pick the rest up in three weeks' time when I'm back from Burkina. Um, I'd like to pray. And um, let me say this. I, I've felt it important to say this over the last two or three weeks. That, you know, this morning, if you uh, are sitting in this room and you've listened to all of this, and I know that there are at least one or two, and um, you've not yet made that connection with Jesus, you've not yet come to that place of faith, you've not given your life to him, you've not put your life in his hands, and you'd like to do that, I would really love to pray with you. And um, I don't want to embarrass you or single you out or anything like that. So 
Um, if, if that's you, then please come and have a chat with me afterwards or, or with Sue or with Steve or Russ, um, any one of us. Just come and have a chat because we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. Is that okay? Okay, let's stand. Father, we thank you again for all of your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are concerned about every part of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that for each one of us, whether we know it or not, you've got us on a journey to becoming something better, something greater, something, somebody who will bring glory to Jesus. And we thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that from this morning's message that the things that we each of us need to hear and understand from that that you by your spirit would just sow them into our hearts into our minds into our thinking so that we are changed by it so that we receive something this morning uh, in our spirits and not just hear it with our ears and now I pray that the Lord would bless you pray the Lord would keep you that he would draw close to you that he would cause his face to shine on you that you would feel warm because you know that God is smiling over you. That you would know his favor, that you would know that God is for you and not against you, that he is determined to bring the best out of you and to work all things together for your good and that you would, in every step you take this week, know the wonderful supernatural peace of the living God, that you would live and work and minister from a place of rest and the sure and certain knowledge that God loves you, that he is for you, and that he is determined to bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.